الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مذل له ومن يذلله فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا أما بعد ما dear brothers and sisters السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Alhamdulillah, it's nice to see all of you again after Eid, Alhamdulillah. Tonight we'll be doing hadith number 27, which is عن نواس بن سمعان رضي الله عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال البر حسن الخلق والإثم ما حاك في نفسك وكرحت أن يطلع عليه الناس رواه مسلم وعن وابص بن معبد رضي الله عنه قال أتيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال جئت تسأل عن البر والإثم قلت نعم قال استفت قلبك البر ما أنت إليه النفس واطمأن إليه القلب والإثم ما حاك في, في النفس وتردد في الصدر ونفتاك الناس وافتوك طيب so in this hadith, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, as reported by Nawas ibn Sam'an, he said, Righteousness is good character, and sin is that which wavers in your soul, and which you dislike the people finding out about. And likewise, a second hadith on the authority of Wabis ibn Ma'bad radiallahu anhu, who said, I came to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and he said, You have come to ask about righteousness and sinfulness? I said, Yes. He said, Consult your heart. Righteousness is that which makes the soul feel tranquil and the heart feel tranquil. And sin is that which makes the soul waver and the breast uneasy, even if the people have given you their verdict on it and continue to give you their verdict. So just some general commentary on this hadith. The first hadith we have is reported by Imam Muslim, Rahimahullah uh, Ta'ala, and it is an authentic hadith. Uh, whereas the second hadith is reported in the Musnad Imam Ahmad, and it seems that there is some weakness in the hadith. However, Imam Nawi rahimahullah, he combines the two hadiths together for two reasons. Number one is the similarity of their topics. They both talk about righteousness being what the heart feels comfortable with, and sin being what the heart feels uncomfortable with. But the second aspect, why Imam Nawi concluded the second version, even though there's a weakness in it, is that there's a particular benefit in the second wording, which we do not find in the first, which we do not find in the first, and that is what we're going to be studying today, bi ta'ala. So firstly, let's talk about the two narrators. Number one, An-Nawas ibn Sam'an. An-Nawas ibn Sam'an, both him and his father, they used to live outside of Medina. And they used to come and visit the Messenger of Allah وسلم, regularly. An-Nawas ibn Sam'an's father, he wanted his child to have good tarbiyah. So he actually told his son, Nawas, to live in the masjid for one year. To live in the masjid for one year. So there was a particular place in the masjid where the Ahlul Sufa used to live, the poor companions. This is where his father left An-Nawas ibn Sam'an. And I look at this you know, particular section and it amazes me, subhanAllah. Because the father saw what it was like to live amongst Ahlul Sufa. That the only way these people would eat was if someone came and gave them sadaqah to eat. And often it was the Messenger of Allah But he wanted an nawas to grow up as a scholar and he knew that you know, becoming a scholar wasn't going to be easy. You have to go through difficulties, you have to go through hardships. And if he lived amongst Ahlul Sufa, he would be around people of righteousness, he would regularly be in the company of the Messenger of Allah and he would be able to attain that. And that is why he placed him in that situation, even though it was a difficult one. And then Nawas ibn Sam'an, you know, he goes on to become an individual that mashallah was well versed in the deen. After that one year period was over, and Nawas ibn Sam'an, he moved away from Medina. He left Medina, even though he had the ability to stay. 
Can someone tell me why would a Nawas ibn Sam'an move away from Medina even though he had the ability to stay? This is something we covered in the earlier halaqas and amongst maybe the first 10 hadith that we covered. Why would someone leave Medina? Why did some of the companions choose not to live in Medina while the Prophet was alive? To get more reward walking to the masjid? Good. But that's not it. That is a good attempt. Go ahead. To preach Islam, very good guess, but that's not it. So I want you to think of it from the perspective of a student of knowledge. Particularly, what, what pertaining to a student of knowledge, would he lose out if he lived in Medina? Al-Arabiya? Nope. Good guess though. Ridwan? Okay, the answer to this is, the companions that lived in Medina, the Prophet ﷺ didn't allow them to ask questions. The Prophet ﷺ did not allow the people living in Medina to ask questions regularly. That is a better phrasing of it. Whereas, it is only those people that lived outside of Medina that had open access to ask whatever question they wanted to the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ feared that the companions that lived in Medina, if they asked too many questions, that too many things would become obligatory upon them. And that is why he prevented them from asking questions. And, then, and Nawas ibn Sam'an did not want to be of those people that was prevented from asking questions. So that is why he lived with his father outside of Medina. That is why he lived with his father outside of Medina. After the death of the Prophet ﷺ, he eventually moved to Syria. And that is where he continued to teach until he passed away. Altogether, 17 hadith have been reported from him. 17 hadith have been reported from him. The second narrator, Wabisa ibn Ma'bad. Wabisa ibn Wa'bad. He accepted Islam in the ninth year of the Hijrah. What happened in the ninth year of the Hijrah? What great event? Fath of Makkah. So he accepted Islam in that year. And he was known for two good characteristics. One was his gentleness and his character. He had a very soft, easygoing character. And then number two, he was someone that would cry frequently in his Salah. He was someone who would cry frequently in his Salah. And 11 hadith have been narrated from him. 11 hadith have been narrated from him. So the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he starts off the hadith by saying, Al-Birru Husnul Khuluq, that righteousness is good character. Righteousness is good character. Does this statement mean that the only element of righteousness is good character? And the answer to that is no. As we've discussed in many hadith in the past, the Prophet will use similar, uh, I guess, equations in language to indicate its importance. So we see anadmu tawbah, that feeling regret, that is repentance within of itself, because it is the main element of repentance. Al-hajju, arafah, the main component of hajj is arafah, because arafah is the main component, even though there is more to hajj than just that. And similarly over here when he says, al-birru husn al-khuluq, it means the, more, the, more, the greatest component of righteousness is good conduct and character. Now I find this portion of the hadith to be very, very important, because a lot of times when you discuss righteousness, you know, what do you often think of? You might think of someone who fasts a lot, someone who prays a lot, someone who perhaps gives a lot of sadaqah. This is generally what our perception is. But here the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is teaching us that those are just the foundations of our faith. That our Islam is based upon praying five times a day and giving our zakat and fasting in the Ramadan. But the highest levels of righteousness will be attained through good character. The way we interact with one another. When someone makes you upset, how do you react to it? Do you get angry right away? 
right? When it comes time to help other people, are you from the forefront that like to help other people? Or does someone have to beg and plead with you, look, please come and help me, I'm dying. You know, come and save me. And that's when you go and help someone. So what is your situation when it comes to good character? And we've talked about the virtues of good character many, many times. But I just want to share two of these hadith with you that, you know, if one was to contemplate them, it boggles the mind how important good character is. Number one is that the Messenger of Allah said, the one who struggles to attain good character, he will attain the one who fasts during the day and prays during the night. Now I want you to think about this physically, trying to fast every single day and to pray every single night is going to be next to impossible. Your body will become fatigued. But here the Messenger of Allah وسلم, teaches us a way where we can reach that level, is continue to, to struggle with your akhlaq. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, says, the heaviest thing on the scale on Yawm Al-Qiyamah is going to be your good deeds. The heaviest thing on your scale on Yawm Al-Qiyamah is going to be your good deeds. And that's something to think about, right? And this teaches us again the importance of human interaction in the religion. That our religion is not just based upon being monks and being celibate, but it's about, you know, human interaction. And this brings perspective when we say that getting married is half of your deen. You understand why that is the case. Because half of your deen is your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the other half of your deen is the relationship with the people. And if you can't treat your wife properly, then you can't treat anyone else properly either. Right? If you can't be patient with your wife, you will not be able to be patient with other people either. So this shows us the relevance and the importance of good akhlaq. So this is the meaning of that hadith. Now, this portion of the hadith. Now the question arises, what exactly does the term bir actually mean? So there's one particular relationship where we hear the, bir, the word bir often. Which relationship is that in? Al-Walidin. Fantastic. The relationship with our parents. Now, the relationship with one's parents, as we know, after the relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is the most important relationship. And this is the word that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used to define that relationship. Now the term bir when it comes to our relationship with our parents is to do that which is pleasing to them in a manner that is pleasing to them. That is what bir towards our parents means. So to give you an example, your parents ask you to take out the garbage. It is not bir to just take out the garbage while you're frowning and you're upset and you know questioning why do I have to do this every single week when it stinks. But bir is to take out that garbage and to actually be happy that you can be in the service of your parents. That is what bir actually is. And that is the type of relationship we want to attain with our parents. Now, this is one element of bir. Where one element of bir is just having this good conduct where not only is it sanctioned, this deed is sanctioned in the Qur'an and Sunnah, but you're doing it in a manner that is pleasing to the person that you're helping out. You open up the door for someone, you shouldn't just be frowning in their face, right? You should actually be happy. I was actually, I actually have some funny stories from just from today, where I was at a restaurant with my wife and kids, and we have like this 70-year-old lady that's at the cash register. And at first we thought, you know, she was like an Islamophobe, that she just hated Muslims, and that's why she was just giving us bad service. Like she wouldn't even talk to us. We'd place an order, she wouldn't acknowledge the order, she wouldn't say yes or no, she would just continue writing stuff down. So I didn't know, is she taking the order or not? I didn't know what was happening. Till eventually, you know, she just punched in some numbers and, you know, it just said, so I paid the amount. 
But then I watched her, you know, as customer by customers coming in, she's just giving everyone bad service. Like she did not like anyone. Even when, you know, uh, there were some young kids that they left while we were eating. And then as she's walking by, she's like, what is it with these kids always causing a mess? You know, she was like, literally, if, when you think about grumpy, like old aged people, this is like the type of person you would think of. Like you would tell that, you know, they haven't had enough hugs. You know, no one gave them any hugs for either, something like that. That's what was wrong. So doing it, not only doing the good deed, but doing it in a manner that makes the other people happy and pleased. That is what bir is. Now, bir and its relationship to taqwa. Bir and its relationship to taqwa. In Surah Al-Ma'idah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He tells us, That, you know, help one another in righteousness and in taqwa. The scholars commentated, particularly Ibn Rajab, he said, Bir over here is the interaction with the people. Taqwa over here is the relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in fact, these are two words that you will see often placed together. If you look inside verse 177 of Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually says, لَيْسَ الْبِرُّ أَن تُوَلُّوا وُجُوهَكُمْ كِبْلَ الْمَشْرِقِ وَالْمَغْرِبِ وَلَكِنَّ الْبِرَّ مَنْ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَالْمَلَائِكَةِ وَالْكِتَابِ وَالنَّبِيِّينَ وَآتَ الْمَالَ عَلَى حُبِّهِ ذَوَى الْقُرْبَ وَالْيَتَامَ وَالْمَسَاكِينَ وَابْنِ السَّبِيلِ that it is not bir, it is not righteousness that you turn your faces towards the east or the west in prayer. But bir is believing in Allah, the last day, the angels, the books, the prophets, and giving one's wealth in spite of love of it to the kinsfolk, to the orphans, to the poor, to the wayfarer, to those who ask and to set uh, slaves free. It also includes those who establish the prayer, give the zakat, and uh, fulfill their covenant when they make it, and those who are patient in extreme poverty and ailment, and at the time of fighting. Such are the people of the truth, and they are the pious. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala concluded the verse by saying, وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُتَّقُونَ That they are the people of, piousness, of piety and righteousness. So there's a close relationship over here that we see again, that the closer a person gets to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more his akhlaq should improve. The closer a person gets to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more his akhlaq should improve. And this is something that Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, he comments on. He says, how do you know which character is from the deen? How do you know which good character is from the deen? He says that every time you attain this good character, then the more should increase you in your deen. So if a, a characteristic is actually considered good, then this good characteristic will actually increase you in your deen and not decrease you in it. And that's one of the ways of, disco of discovering is something from good akhlaq or not. Is something from ak good akhlaq or not. So now, when the Messenger of Allah وسلم, says, Al-Birru Husnul Khuluq, this is just to indicate that righteousness, the most important component of righteousness is good character and it is not all of righteousness. It is not all of righteousness. Because we saw in the verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly says that bir is to believe in Allah, to believe in the prophets, to believe in the angels, and then do things upon that. So the foundation of righteousness is belief, and then it is followed up by good actions. And that is what righteousness is. So now the question uh, comes up, what does khuluq actually mean? How do we define khuluq? 
What is the definition of khuluq? So one of the commentators, he says, it is a situation of the soul that calls it to perform certain deeds without any thought or pondering. So this is the first section of the definition. He says that khuluq is that which naturally comes to you, right? It's not something you have to ponder or think about. It is something that should naturally come to you. This is what we call good character. That you shouldn't have to think about it and then go and do it. But rather whatever you are naturally uh, ingrained with, then that is what good character is. Then he says this situation can be divided into one of two parts. The first part is that which is naturally inside of a person from the time of, from the time of his creation. So there are certain characteristics that all of us will have that we are born with, right? Certain people will just naturally be good at giving sadaqah. Certain people will just naturally be good at performing the salah. Certain people will just naturally be good at helping other people, right? We each have our natural given gifts in akhlaq, right? So this is one component of it. Then the second component is... Uh, sorry, then he goes on to explain that. He says one part of it is that which is naturally inside a person from the time of his creation, like the person who becomes angry at the slightest provocation. Meaning that we're all created, that if we're provoked, we will become angry. Another part is that which is achieved through customary performance and practice. Meaning that this part of it is that you know there's something good out there, so you continue practicing it till you become good at it. You can become practicing, you can continue practicing it till you become good at it. At first it might be with pondering and thought, but the person continues those acts until they, part, uh, until they become a part of his being and nature. So at first you will have to think about it, but then eventually it will become a part of your akhlaq. There are two particular things that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, mentions that can be attained by akhlaq. Uh, sorry, by can be a, two elements of akhlaq that can be attained by practicing them. Who knows what they are? I asked you for one, Yaqi. You give both. <laughs> so these are the two that the Messenger of Allah mentions. He says, Man sabara sabarahullah. That whoever tries to be patient, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant him patience. Meaning, this is an indication that patience can be learned. Patience can be learned. And the second one is hilm. He says, That knowledge comes by seeking it and perseverance comes by trying to persevere, right? So if a person just gives up on the onset, he's never going to persevere. But if you continue trying to persevere, eventually you will persevere. Now this becomes a very interesting discussion uh, in social science is do human beings have the ability to change, right? And for the most part, I would say 90% of us, while we have the ability to change, we will not change because that is just how strong the force of habit is. But the possibility is still there because this is what the Messenger of Allah وسلم, teaches us. Now when you look at this definition that we just mentioned about uh, what uh, khuluq is, you'll notice that there are a couple of things that are missing here. Two key things that are missing over here. One is knowledge and number two is intention. One is knowledge and then two is intention. Over here this person that gave this definition and it was Ibn Miskaway that gave this definition, he doesn't mention anything about intention. So does that mean that good character doesn't need intention? And the answer to that is no. That everything in Islam, any good deeds, it needs an intention. 
So whether it's smiling in the face of your brother, whether it's opening a door, whether it is being patient, all of it requires an intention that it needs to be for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because if that intention is not there, then it will not be considered a good deed. It will not be considered a good deed. The number two, knowledge. Is knowledge mandatory in order for there to be good character? And the answer to that is yes. But when we refer to knowledge over here, it's not just about you know, knowledge that we find in the verses of the Quran and the Sunnah. Yes, these are extremely important. But there are other ways of learning things as well. Right? Our parents will teach us good character. Right? They will teach us to be you know, good to our parents. They're not going to quote verses of the Quran or hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. They'll just tell us that, look, you need to be good to your parents. Right? So there are other sources of knowledge as well. So this is the second element that particularly when it comes to akhlaq, knowledge of interaction perhaps is one of the most important elements of good akhlaq. That you'll be with certain people, they'll do something and, and you'll be like, you know, mashallah, that's an amazing characteristic to have. And that's when you learn that that is good akhlaq. And likewise, you'll be with other people and they'll just like turn you off right away and you'll be like, that's a terrible characteristic to have and that's something that you don't want. So human interaction is perhaps the most important component for the uh, learning of good akhlaq and keeping away from bad akhlaq. But this needs to be done with intention and with knowledge. It needs to be done with intention and with knowledge. So now when we talk about good akhlaq, who do we need to have good akhlaq with? The scholars mention five categories that we need to have good akhlaq with. Number one, Good akhlaq with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Good akhlaq with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, good akhlaq with the people around us. Good akhlaq with the people around us. Number three, good akhlaq with ourselves. Good akhlaq with ourselves. Number four, good akhlaq with the rest of the creation. Good akhlaq with the rest of the creation, meaning plants and animals. And then number five, Good akhlaq with our property. Good akhlaq with our property. Good akhlaq with our property. So now, talking about good akhlaq with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here's something that you'll hear all the time. That you know, this person doesn't pray, but he has amazing akhlaq. And a lot of times people don't realize that it's not impossible to have amazing akhlaq if the person has bad akhlaq with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That it's an oxymoron, it's a contradiction that a person cannot have good akhlaq with the people if he doesn't have good akhlaq with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's, by that we mean that that good akhlaq with the people is weightless if he doesn't have good akhlaq with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is what we mean by that. So in order for our akhlaq to have any weight at all, that good akhlaq with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala needs to exist first. So the three key components of having good akhlaq with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number one, Believing in everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent down. So the belief in the angels, belief in the Quran, belief in Jannah and Jahannam, even though we don't see any of these things, having an unwavering faith about them. Having an unwavering faith about them. Number two, one must try his best to fulfill the commands and stay away from the prohibitions. One must try their best to fulfill the commands and stay away from the prohibitions. And stay away from the prohibitions. And then the third key characteristics of, uh, of good character with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is being patient upon the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Being patient upon the degree, decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, category number two. Being patient, uh, having good character with 
the people around us, having good character with the people around us. What would you say is the most important characteristic to have when interacting with other people? What is the most important characteristic to have when interacting with other people? Control your anger. Control your anger. That is good, but we're looking for something more general. That's very specific. We want to look at something more general than that. Sabr. I think something more specific than that. So somewhere between your two answers, inshallah. Forbearance? Forbearance, explain that. So forbearance meaning you have the guys telling you something, nobody's just like winding around about it. But if someone's doing something bad, like you, you bear with you. You bear their comments. I'll accept that. I'll accept that. Imam Ahmad, rahimahullah, and this story is attributed to other than Imam Ahmad as well. They were asked, you know, what, is it true that nine-tenths of good character is overlooking people's faults? Is it true that nine-tenths of good character is overlooking people's faults? And Imam Ahmad and the others, they said, but rather it is ten-tenths, meaning all of good character is the ability to look over people's faults. And meaning this is like the first level of human interaction is that you need to realize that all of us come with faults, all of us come with deficiencies. And if you can't overlook those faults and deficiencies, relationships aren't going to get anywhere. So if you're expecting a, a perfect human being, a perfect relationship, it's never going to come along. It starts with understanding that all of us are human, all of us have deficiencies, all of us are going to have shortcoming. And then you need to move on after that. A second good characteristic to have when interacting with people is not just being patient with them, but being able to forgive them. Being able to forgive them. And this is very, very difficult. Particularly when someone that is close to you harms you, it is very, very difficult. And you see this during the time of the Prophet ﷺ, when the ifk happened, the, the story of the slander of Aisha radiallahu anha. There was someone that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu used to give sadaqah to. And then he found out that this person didn't directly slander, but he facilitated the slander against Aisha radiallahu anha. And then he stopped giving sadaqah to this person. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He revealed the verse in Surah An-Nur where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلْيَعْفُوا وَلْيَسْفَحُوا أَلَا تُحِبُّونَ يَغْفِرَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ That pardon and forgive, do not love that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should pardon and forgive you as well. And an important lesson being that when you forgive people, you'll attain the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. Number three, being in the, being in, available in the times of need of people, being available in the times of needs of people. So you'll notice that, you know, particularly with the guys, when it's time to like chill, you know, let's have a barbecue, let's go play some video games, mashallah, everyone tags along. But then when it's time to move house, you know, guys, I need help moving my stuff into a new house. It's like everyone just disappears. No one's available. And every excuse out of the book will come out. It's like, you know, I have to help my parents. Bro, your parents live in another country. You know, I have to walk the dog. I, you don't have a dog. You know, stuff like that. All that stuff will come out. People do not understand the importance of helping people. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, he says, for me to take the hand of my brother and to help him in his time of need is more beloved to me than making etzakaf in the masjid for a month. Making etzakaf in the masjid and nabwi for one month. It's greater to, to go and help you know, the person in need. So when you're looking for great amounts of ajr, helping out people in their time of need is an amazing way of attaining it. 
Now what is the goal in having good character? And who should good character be with? The Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tells us in Surah Fussilat, وَلَا تَسْتَوِ الْحَسَنَةُ وَلَا السَّيَّعَةُ إِدْفَعْ بِالَّتِي هِيَ أَحْسَنْ فَإِذَا الَّذِي بَيْنَكَ وَبَيْنَهُ عَدَاوَةٌ كَأَنَّهُ وَلِيٌّ حَمِيمٌ so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, the good deed and evil deed can never be equal. Repel evil with a deed that is better than it. And if you do that, then verily he between whom you and he is enmity, he will become as though he was a close friend. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He tells us that the people we should strive to show good akhlaq to are those people that show animosity towards us. Those people that don't show us good character, we should try extra hard to show them good character. So every time bad is done to us, we repel it with good. We never repel it with evil. And then what is the end goal? That even your worst arch nemesis, right? Like Spider-Man and Venom. That's what we're talking about. That even your worst arch nemesis, he becomes as if he is a close friend. He becomes as if he is a close friend. And we saw the example of the Prophet ﷺ in this uh, with the example of Safwan bin Umayyah. That Safwan bin Umayyah in the Fatha of Mecca, you know, he's been protected because he's in, the, uh, he's in the house of Abu Sufyan. So he comes to the Messenger of Allah and the, the, the ghanima is being given out. And he says, you know, oh Muhammad, give me. Like no please, no Messenger of Allah, no thank you, no Jazakallah khair, just give me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's Messenger وسلم, he gives him a hundred camels. And he's like, wow, this is too, too good to be true. Like I've been an enemy of Islam for so long and I'm getting a hundred camels. You know, he's probably just doing this to, to show off. Let me ask him another hundred. He says, oh Muhammad, give me. And he gives him another hundred camels. And he thinks to himself, is this really happening? That all I have to do is ask? You know, is it that easy to become rich? He asks again and he says, oh Muhammad, give me. And he gave him another hundred camels. And then at that time, he tells the, the narrator of the story, Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, one of the Imams of the Tabi'een. He says he went from becoming the most hated and detested of individuals. He went from becoming the most hated and detested of individuals to becoming the most beloved. To becoming the most beloved. And this teaches us that with your enemies, they are the ones that you need to be nice to. And that animosity between you, it will disappear with more righteousness and kindness that you show them. And this is something that you will see. Your enemies, they want you to do things to allow them to be bad. They want you to do things to allow them to be bad. And when you, if you want to frustrate them more, show them kindness, show them mercy, show them you know, forbearance. And that will annoy them even more till they can no longer be your enemy. They're forced to love you. They're forced to you know, have good thoughts about you. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us. Then, category number three is having good akhlaq with yourself. Having good akhlaq with yourself. And this is on various levels. This is on a spiritual level. That when you know something is right, you pursue it. When you know something is wrong, you should abstain from it. You know, we are oppressors of our own souls. That when we know something is wrong, yet we still pursue that harm. So we need to stay away from that harm. This is on a physical level. That we should be taking care of our bodies to the best of our ability. Right? That whatever Allah has given us in our physical capabilities, we're responsible for taking care of our bodies. And this is a shortcoming in ourselves if we are not doing that. So it is also on a physical level. Right? So this is the good akhlaq towards one's body, that you work hard and you strive hard. And you know, the, that I was telling you about my trip earlier today, that you know, yesterday there's a, a place in Canmore, 
uh, a, a Lake Gracie or Gracie, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. But as you start your trek, it says easy hike on the right, difficult hike on the left. So I took this for face value. <laughs> I was like, you know what, with my wife and kids, let's go easy hike. Easy hike was a mission and a half. It's 1.6 kilometers on an incline on paved road. That's what it is. So the easy element is that it's paved road, but literally without exaggeration, it's almost like a 45 degree incline. So for like 25 minutes, I'm like, Ya Allah, how is this easy? You know, how is this meant to be easy? So then on the way back, my wife's like, you know what, let's try the difficult way down. Now the difficult way down, it paid off just because, I don't know, for those of you that are on Facebook, I've been posting some of the pictures. The pictures that I've been posting on Facebook are from the difficult climb down. It's as if you're like, you know, visiting Jannah, subhanAllah. It's mind-boggling. Like there's this one picture where you have this crystal clear blue water, and then you have the blue sky that's reflecting on it. So it's as if the sky, you know, came down to this river. And you can't help but reflect, you know, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes Jannah, min al-anhar, that, you know, below it are, are mountains, um, yeah, so are below it are rivers that flow. And, you know, being on top of the mountain, you thought of, that Allah has placed these great thrones that you're looking down from. Now, the difficult part on the way down, why it was a difficult trek, was that, even though the trek is easier, there's no like major inclines or declines, is that there's no paved path, subhanAllah. There's no paved path, you're walking through rocks, you're walking through mud, and I actually, you know, ended up injuring my, my knee through it, uh, subhanAllah, that you know, there's one part where I just continue sliding down, I couldn't stop, till I jammed my leg into the, into the, the ground, and you know, it just jerked forward. Um, but again, it was a valuable experience in the sense that, you know, it's very important to be in, in good physical shape. That you know, it's, an, it's an, an embarrassing situation where you know your your wife is you know ahead of you in this track, or your kids are ahead of you in this track, and they're like, "Baba, why aren't you catching up?" <laughs> and then you come up with like all sorts of excuses, like, "Don't you see the white hair? You know, I'm getting old and stuff like that." But again, the the body has rights upon us, and you know, this is something that we need to try our best to fulfill, inshallah. So everyone has their weakness and deficiencies. We need to work on those. Number four with the rest of the creation, the good akhlaq with the rest of the creation, towards animals, towards plants, right? We all know the famous hadith of the prostitute that uh, she was thirsty, she drank some water, she saw a dog that was thirsty, she gave that water to the dog, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave her. And this shows us again the virtue of good akhlaq even with the animals. Fudayl ibn Ayyad, he says that uh, even the, the pig and the dog, as impure as they are, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prohibited us from from harming them without reason. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prohibited us from harming them without reason. So as impure as they are, even those types of animals have rights upon us. So, you know, just basic simple things that if you ever have the opportunity to feed some animals, you know, across the, the masjid we have that park where people are always feeding birds. It'd be great, just go feed some birds, you get some ajar out of that. But that's obviously if there aren't poor people in front of you. You know, feed the people first before you feed the animals, inshallah. Um, the rest of the creation in terms of the plants, you know, watering the plants, making sure they're getting the vitamins and the nutrients that they need, you know, not destroying them without just cause. This is all part of good akhlaq with the rest of the creation. And then the fifth and last category of good akhlaq is with property. You know, and this is something that again, uh, you know, we might fall short in. But something as simple as our books, you know, we should make sure that we, we take good care of them, right? making sure that they're covered properly, making sure that we don't fold the pages excessively, the property that we have in terms of tables and chairs, 
You know, it's amazing how this is the, the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but there's always something going missing from the masjid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, you know, protecting other people's property is, you know, part of good akhlaq. So those are the five categories of good akhlaq that we want to uh, have. So now the question arises, how does one attain good akhlaq? How does one attain good akhlaq? Shaykh ibn Uthaymin, rahimahullah, he provides three things. He provides three things. Number one, he says, studying of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. This teaches us the, which are the characteristics that Allah likes, so we try to attain them. Which are the characteristics that Allah dislikes, so we try to abstain from them. Number two, he says, being in the company of good people. Being in the company of good people. People of good character in particular. Now this is something which is very interesting that, you know, finding people with good akhlaq is very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah, in his, when he was compiling Al-Adab al-Mufrad, he says that I looked for the people of knowledge and I found that there were a few of them still around. I looked for the people of knowledge and I found that a few of them were still around. But I looked for the people of good character and found that they had all passed away. And looked for the people of good character and found that they had all passed away. Now it doesn't mean, you know, literally that they were all dead but it means that they were even fewer than the people of knowledge. That it is possible for a person to have knowledge, but not have good character. So it's very important that when a person is looking for good character, you may not find one, you know, ideal individual that will teach you all of good akhlaq. But each and every one of us has a good component of akhlaq to offer. Now I remember there was a, a Sudanese sheikh in Montreal, uh, Sheikh Abdul Rahman. This man, it was as if he never lifted his eyes off the ground. You know how we lower our gaze towards the opposite gender? This man just naturally lowered his gaze towards everything. And he would always have this, you know, enormous smile, subhanAllah. So every time when I think about the lowering of the gaze, I think about Shaykh Abdurrahman Ibrahim. That it, it was just amazing, you know, how shy and modest he was, even amongst the brothers, subhanAllah. So you will find certain people like that, that you, you know, extract good character from them and try to you know, instill it within of yourself. So meaning that you have to be a searcher for good character with the people around you. But never think that you'll find one person that you will obtain that good character from. Then the third thing that Shaykh Ibn Thaymin mentions is you should learn the bad consequences of bad character. Learn the bad consequences of bad character. So how bad character destroys friendships, how bad character destroys families. That's in this dunya. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punishes bad character and the akhirah, right? So these things will prevent you from having bad character. Will have you, prevent you from having bad character. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, and we can add these two to Shaykh Ibn al-Thaymin's list. He says, look at the character of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because he was the highest standard of good character. وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ That O oh, you Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are the highest standard of good character. So study his akhlaq, study his interaction with other people. And the sixth, the, the second thing that Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah mentions is just being conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That imagine if Allah is watching you, how would, what type of character would you want to want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to watch you with? And that is like something that is very, very deep, subhanAllah. Imagine the effect of being conscious of Allah has on a person's life, right? When you realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching you and the angels are writing down every single thing that you do and you realize that you will be questioned on the day of judgment about your interactions, it definitely changes the way you act. It definitely changes the way that you act. Then 
the a part that is all often given but sh should re require reflection, and we can make this point number seven if we want, is making dua for this. Making dua for this. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he used to look into the mirror, he used to say, Allahumma ahsanta khalqi fa ahsin khuluqi. That, oh Allah, you have perfected my appearance, so perfect my good character as well. Perfect my good character as well. And Imam Muslim, rahimahullah, he reports from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to say, Ihdini li ahsan al akhlaq, la yahdi li ahsaniha illa ant, wasrif anni sayyiha, la yasrifu anni sayyiha illa ant. That, oh Allah, Guide me to the best of manners. No one can guide to the best of manners except you. And turn me away from evil manners. And no one can turn them away from me except, uh, except you. And this is reported in Sahih Muslim. Now when you look at this, subhanAllah, it shows you that in life, if you want to become like the best at something, the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always required. That with the Messenger of Allah, he attained his good akhlaq, not only through the tarbiyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah guided him, but the fact that he worked hard at it and he sought the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Working hard and seeking the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's like a combination where people will never lose. If you have this, you work hard and you seek help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will never lose. Now we move on to the second and last part of the hadith. And that is, how does one know if he has good character? How does one know if he has good character? Actually, we'll leave that for later on. Let's just move on to the second part of the hadith. And the Messenger of Allah says in the second part of the hadith, and sin is that which wavers in your soul, and you dislike the people finding out. Sin is that which wavers in your soul, and which you dislike the people finding out about. So the word for sin that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, uses is ithim, is ithim. And ithim is defined as an act for which its performer is deserving of blame and censure. So when a person performs ithim, he is deserving of blame and censure. From our previous halaqas, who remembers how many different types of words Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses in the Qur'an to show sin? How many different types of words are there? That's the beginning of it. Yeah. So how many words are there all together? Don't give them all to me. I just need how many words there are. Do you need to review? Then let me know when you get there, inshallah. There are 12 words mentioned in the Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, jazakallahu khair, uses to indicate uh, sin in the Quran. 12 words. From them are uh, ithim, uh, are fisk, are kufr, shirk, and nifaq, al baghi, zulm, udwan. And we're missing two of them. So altogether there are twelve. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah. Sorry? Al-Ifq? No. What am I missing? Yeah, al mentioned already. Yeah. So anyways, we're not going to count these right now. The point being that there are twelve altogether. We've listed ten of them. Uh, in Ighathatul Ahfan, uh, Ibn al-Qayyim rahimullah, he lists all 12 of them. So, Ithim is one of those 12. Ithim is one of those 12. And it's defined as the one who does them, then he's deserving of blame and censure. So it doesn't mean he will be blamed and he will be censured, but it just means that he's deserving of it. He's deserving of it. And Ithim can be just like uh, Dhamb, 
and khati'ah. Those are the other two. Dhamb and khati'ah are the other two that are missing. Just like dhamb, it can be major or minor. It can be major or minor. So now, we're given two characteristics how to recognize a sin. And that is that a person should internally feel discomfort about it and that he doesn't want the people to find out about it. So the obvious thing over here is that when you feel discomfort on the inside, this requires that you have a pure heart. This requires that you have a pure heart. If a person's heart has been corrupted, he's not going to feel any discomfort whatsoever. You look at the way that certain people dress on the outside and you would think subhanAllah that they should feel some modesty and some shyness but their hearts have been corrupted to such a degree that they don't feel it anymore. And this goes back to my restaurant story. So while we're at the restaurant, um, the reason why we went to this restaurant is called La Belle Patate, like the, the beautiful potato. And it's supposed to be like a Montreal-based restaurant. So everywhere, you, everywhere in the restaurant, they have like Montreal paraphernalia. You know, like the Montreal Canadiens jersey, the Montreal Expos, you know, baseball team jersey, pictures of famous Montreal people. So I thought it'd be like nostalgic to, to go to this restaurant. But I found a type of nostalgia that I didn't expect. You know, one of the reasons I left Montreal was because how immoral the city was becoming. SubhanAllah, you had like more strip clubs in Montreal than you did like libraries. Like that's how bad it is, SubhanAllah. And while we're eating our food, three, you know, French Quebecers, and you can tell they're Quebecers because of the way they spoke French, they come in, one of them had his pants literally like dragging down, but that's normal standard fashion, you know, in certain uh, cultures. But the second one, uh, and the second two guys, they had holes in the back of their pants, like this big. So you could see like their underwear. And I was like, you know, they, they, like my kids, they started laughing. And I'm like, what are you guys laughing at? And they point, and they're like, that's Superman underwear. And I'm like, oh man. <laughs> you know, again, going back to this concept of shyness and modesty, that a person, you know, in order, like this is why it's so important to seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to seek His guidance, to purify our hearts. Because you can reach a level, you can reach that state where you're showing off your underwear to people, and you're not going to feel any shyness. And that's, you know, something to, to, to feel de depressed and sad about. That when a person has reached that state. So that is the first disclaimer over here that when it says, istafti qalbak or, you know, ma haka fi sadrak, that you feel discomfort in your heart, that is only for the pure heart. So the pure heart, it will be able to guide you. In fact, Imam al-Ghazali and some of the other commentators, they said when the Messenger of Allah gave this advice, it was exclusive to uh, Nawas ibn Sama'an and to the second companion. That it was exclusive to these people only. Shaykh Ibn Thaymin and Ibn Rajab, they said, no, this is not the case. But just as long as a person has a pure heart, then it is sufficient for them to consult their hearts and it will be okay. The second element they mention is that which you don't...